0: go to nightclubs and they you know I've heard that the bouncers can give you the drugs that everyone's taking in the nightclub so you can get your drugs at the door and so everyone's there it's a culture of it but you know every single one of those kids if they keep taking those drugs will die drug addicts in the most terrible situation so something's wrong with that amen something's wrong with our culture and I've only t- I'm only scratching the surface. Something's wrong with our culture. And this is what it really, really disappoints me, is I know Christians that live that way. We're not supposed to live in sin. Because that's sin. Sin rots us. Sin makes us decay as humans. Who knows? A, a man that drinks in excess. Eventually you, you see the guy when he's 40 years old and he looks about 80 and teeth are falling out. You know, his hair's all full out. His body's gone to rack and ruin. He's just a mess. But isn't drinking alcohol promoted in our culture? You know what? In 20 more years, like my dad and Vena's dad and many of them will more than likely have passed away. So all that generation is more than likely going to have passed away in just another 20 years that just went like that. And then we'll be on the front line. We'll be the older ones in the family. We'll be the old timers walking around. Here you going? And You know what I mean? And then in 20 years from then, we're more than likely not going to be here. That's if the Lord doesn't return before him. So life is fleeting. Man, look to Jesus. Rest your hope in Jesus because before you know it, you're going to have passed on from this life. Before you know it, We're going to leave this earth, and if we leave the earth without Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, we will never, ever see the light of day again. We'll be doomed to destruction, especially if you've heard the truth. If you've heard the truth and not reacted to it. If you've heard the truth and you haven't responded. If you've heard the truth and not given your life to Jesus Christ, and turned your life over to Him and recanted of all your sin turn from sin and live for Jesus and live the holy and righteous life, an impeccable life in Christ. Because you know what? You won't be dead for more than a few minutes. And if you're a Christian and you get into heaven and you manage to get into heaven, you are going to be on your knees repenting in heaven, saying, Lord, please send me back. And If you can give me another 10 years, I'll go back and I'll live for you with all my heart. And Jesus will say, sorry. It's done. There's no more life for you on earth. What you have done, you have done, and that's it. You can't change it now. And you'll say, please, there's got to be a way. you God, there's got to be a way. Can't you just put me back so that I can live it again and I can do it all again? And I can live a holy, righteous life in you, and that I'll pray 10 hours a day, and I'll pray for all my family who I now see in hell, and I'll pray for them, and I'll make sure that they don't go to hell if you could just back up some time so I can start praying. He's gonna say no. It's done. You had the scriptures your whole life. You lived 80 years on this planet. You had the scriptures laying before you and you ignored them. And the truth of what the ministers would tell you, you ignored. And you went home and you did nothing about it. You had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And you gave them all up because you wanted to live according to your own desires. We don't want to fall into that category, guys. That's why I preach it now. So you don't have to go there. You don't have to have that five-minute torture as you enter into the kingdom of heaven. That five minutes of absolute torture. And then to live out eternity with that regret. You know what I mean? Do you want to have regrets in heaven? Why do you think the disciples gave it everything? Why do you think the disciples were so committed to the faith? That they laid their life down. Alright, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Let's read that again. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. So Paul's talking to Timothy here saying there's going to be a time in the future when men are not going to want to hear the truth. But at this time, you know, there were men that didn't want to hear it then, but it's going to become a, a cultural thing. It's going to become a time when all men will not want to hear the truth. There'll be a minority of people that want to hear the truth, but most people won't want to hear it. And then what does it say? Instead, to suit their own desires, did you catch that? To suit their desires, to suit the things that they want to do, to live the life that they want to live because they want to live wretched, sinful lives, right? Which is what our culture promotes. Does our culture promote anything but horrible lifestyles? You know, drug taking, alcohol in excess, sleeping around, you know, uh, pornography, you know, pornography is so normal now that, that you know, you hear it on the talk shows and stuff on TV and they just laugh about it, oh yeah, you know, we're, it's pretty much a standard part of my day. You know, go, I get home from work, I go and sit down on the computer, I watch porn for an hour. It's just part of my lifestyle, it's the way I live, right? so. To suit their desires, men will only listen to teachers that will teach what they want to do. They won't listen to teachers that will teach them not what what to do. They don't like people coming and saying, you know what, watching porn is really bad for you morally. It's going to make you decay as a human. It's going to destroy your soul. It's going to destroy the relationship between a man and a woman. It doesn't add that in. You know, we've got to, we've got to hear that. Because men and women who are obsessed with pornography, a relationship's just about sex. It's not, a, not anything more. And as soon as the sexual element wears off and it's not as exciting anymore, they move to the next person. Who knows that's true? And I'm too loud. I know I am. i turn that down a bit. Is that better? If you want it loud again, I'll turn it back up. But that's what happens. They go from person to person to person. Is that our culture? Is that what's promoted in movies as you're a really, you're a really cool dude if you can sleep with a lot of women? You know what I mean? But who knows that that leads to emptiness? I know guys that are, in my, that are my age group that have lived that life, right? Right? And they're now 40 and 50 years old, and they just say, I just wish I had one person. I just want one person, you know, because that lifestyle is destructive. Who knows drugs is destructive, right? But you go to nightclubs, and they, you know, I've heard that the bouncers can give you the drugs that everyone's taking in the nightclub, so you can get your drugs at the door. And so everyone's there. It's a culture of it. But do you know every single one of those kids, if they keep taking those drugs, will die. Drug addicts. In the most terrible situation. So something's wrong with that. Amen? Something's wrong with our culture. And I've only t- I'm only scratching the surface. Something's wrong with our culture. And this is what it really, really disappoints me, is I know Christians that live that way. We're not supposed to live in sin because that's sin. Sin rots us. Sin makes us decay as humans. Who knows? A a man that drinks in excess, eventually you, you see the guy when he's 40 years old and he looks about 80 and teeth are falling out. You know, his hair's all falling out. His body's gone to rack and ruin. He's just a mess. But isn't... Drinking alcohol promoted in our culture, isn't it? Let's go out and pub crawl. That sounds like a wild idea. So kids go out and pub crawls. They think they're so cool getting drunk. Let's see if you can drink the most and not fall down. Let's see if we can be, I can drink better than you. But who knows that that becomes addictive. That becomes addictive. And eventually, some of them, not everyone, some of those kids will eventually be alcoholics and they'll eventually die early, and they'll wonder why they'll never end up in a decent relationship, and and their relationships with their families get destroyed. And this is what's happening everywhere. And I'm just scratching the surface again of uh, explaining all these different things that we're into as a culture, but something's got to be done. We've got to stand against it, and that's what Jesus Christ came to teach us, to stand against that stuff. He says, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great numbers of teachers. Great numbers. Isn't that speaking of today when you can get on the internet and you can have a hundred different teachers teaching from all the different angles that you want that suits you so that you can keep living that lifestyle and you're getting a teaching that supports it. To say what their itching ears want to hear. Teachers that teach what, your, what the itching ears want to hear. And this is where I know I don't teach what people's itching ears want to hear. I teach what the Bible teaches, which doesn't itch your ear. Actually, it burns your ear, hurts your ear. You know, it sends you out of here feeling like, oh, man, I've got to change. I can't keep living that life, you know. Christians that drink in excess, Christians that smoke dope and and take drugs, and you know we're all we've all done it, amen. I put my hand up. I've been there. None of us are innocent, but it's not the way we're meant to be. Who knows that the Book of One Peter teaches against that and tells us as Christians we shouldn't live like that. We mustn't live like that. Who knows Two Peter says the same thing. Did I not teach on that? And, and uh, 1 John hit us really hard last week. 1 John teaches against that. Clearly. I'm going to get those sermons online, hopefully, in a few weeks' time. So I want you all to watch them if you've missed them. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and 1 John. They're really important sermons. And uh, this one is an important sermon because we're going to be doing the book of Romans. And uh, we are not going to get through the book of Romans today because Paul had a huge amount to say. On living as Christians, living a sinful life, and not to live that way. So turn to 2 6. What we really have got to get a grip on when you study the New Testament epistles is the writers of the New Testament epistles wrote to Christians. They did not write to unbelievers. There was no letters circulating amongst unbelievers. The letters were circulating to believers, so they were writing directly to them and they were telling the church how they should be and so the warnings and everything were to christians they weren't to unbelievers so what a lot of the teachers today teach is that the warnings are for the unbelievers christians we're saved by grace that's you can't do anything that can cause you to lose your salvation you're saved you've put your hand up in a meeting 10 years ago that's all you need to do that's the end of the story you're in who knows is that is that what gets taught in a lot of places i know i was in a church that was teaching that And all I can say is, it's not in here. That teaching is not in here. And we've been going through it. uh, We've done three big books so far. We're going to do Romans 2.6, and it says this. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Okay, so he's going to give to each person. Now, he he made a general statement there. Paul said to each person, Christian, non-Christian, each person... Will be given. Will, uh, he's going to give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good, so what have we got to persist in, Christians? Doing good. Christians have got to do good things. We've got to be righteous. That means Christians have got to stop sinning. That's just one scripture. And I'm going to. It gets more and more and more clear as we go go through this. So those who by persistence in doing good seek glory. Are you guys seeking glory? Glory in the kingdom of God, meaning we're going to be in the glorious kingdom with a glorious God. Seek glory, honor, and immortality, meaning eternal life. He's going to give us eternal life. If you seek that, if you seek it and you do good and you live a righteous life, he's going to give you eternal life. Christians, and anyone who is a non-christian who seeks that will become christian because they will find jesus christ because you can't get into heaven you can't even speak to the father you can't even pray without using the name of jesus or praying through jesus christ you have to through me you get to the father but for those who are self-seeking if you're self-seeking are we living in a self-seeking age yeah is it all about me iPods, iPods, iPads. (laughs) You know, everything's about self. iPhone, yeah. Me, me, me. But to those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth. Get that? Who reject the truth. Now that can be Christian and non-Christian. A Christian can reject the truth. They can call themselves Christian. Actually, to tell you the truth, I know... I oh, know hundreds of cultural Christians. If you ask them what are you, they'll say Greek Orthodox or Catholic. Does that means you're a Christian? Uh, yeah, I suppose, I'm a Christian, yeah. So what's a Christian mean to you? Oh, a good person. Okay, so you judge yourself as a good person? Yep. So they claim to be good people because as far as their view of Christianity is, is Christians, it is good people. Actually, you know what? We're not. But we're supposed to be we sin but you know what's the difference a true christian is a repentful being someone who repents to god and then turns away from doing wrong because they know that that holy god has got his eye on them and so you live under the scrutinizing eye of god and it keeps you holy cuz if god if god if you could see god if you could see his eyes on you you would see Uh, the most incredible, uh, majestic creator looking at you. But he doesn't do that because he doesn't want to weigh you down with that burden of having every time you look over your shoulder, there's God looking at you. So he's invisible, but you've got to know by the truth and the reality that God exists that he is watching you. Amen? He's watching you. His eye is on you. The Word of God says it. And people say, oh, who cares what the Word of God says? It's just a book written by man said, there's no other book, there is no other book in the universe. Well, let's just say the Earth, because we know there's probably not books on Mars. But in, on the Earth, there's no other book which you can rest your hope on. Name another book. See if you can think of one. I know Matthew's going to think of one. No, there is isn't. No, I can't think of any. If you can tell me one, and don't think the Koran's that. Because Muhammad wasn't sure of his salvation at all at the end of his life. He declared that he he felt he was condemned to hell. And that's their prophet. That's their head prophet. And he's worried he's going to go to hell. And actually, according to his teachings, he will go to hell. Because he teaches an anti-Christian doctrine. Jesus Christ came. He he was the only, only being who ever came to earth and died on the cross for the sins of men. No one else has ever done that. And not only that, was raised to life after three days and was witnessed by up to 500 of his disciples. And they were so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, they were so convinced, these 500, that they would not recant of the name of Jesus in the face of being killed themselves. Right? Just say you know someone guy called jeff and he died and he rose to life and you saw that and someone's going to kill you saying you recant and say that never happened you'll say i can't recant that i have to say and especially the, the difference is of course now jesus christ offered salvation and he said take up the cross follow me if you love your life you'll lose it for me so i'm not going to lose my life by recanting of my belief in Jesus Christ, having raised from the dead. So these guys were that certain that they saw Jesus Christ alive that they went to their deaths as a result. If they never saw him, do you think that they would have held to their faith? If they never saw Jesus rose after, five, after three days, if they never saw him with their physical eyes, they would not have gone to their martyr's death for that. Does that make sense? So that's evidence. That's strong evidence. 500 disciples saw Jesus at once. That's evidence that Jesus exists. And that gives power to what we believe because we have the only faith where we have a risen Messiah. You know, the, um, the Baha'i faith, they're, uh people who started that, the Bab and Baha'u'llah, they're dead and they're in the grave. Buddha died. Buddha is in the grave. They know where his grave is. Muhammad died. They know where his grave is. All these graves have, have, have the bones of these men. But we, as Christians, have an empty grave. They believe they know where he was put. And it's empty. Amen? So we have a sure foundation of a faith. A faith beyond Anything. So you can be guaranteed, guaranteed that what is in here is the truth, the absolute truth. And we should read it and learn it because life is short, guys. I was having this revelation with Vina the other day. We've been married 22 years. And we've had three kids. Our oldest is 21, middle daughter's 18, and Alicia's uh, 12, 13 soon. And, um, and that's gone like that. You remember Luke. Little. They were little not long ago. It's gone like that. And, I'm, and then we, I said to Veena, you know what, in 20 more years, like my dad and Veena's dad and many of them will more than likely have passed away. So all that generation is more than likely going to have passed away in just another 20 years that just went like that. And then we'll be on the front line. We'll be the older ones in the family. We'll be the old timers walking around. Here you going? and You know what I mean? And then in 20 years from then, we're more than likely not going to be here. That's if the Lord doesn't return beforehand. So life is fleeting. Man, look to Jesus. Rest your hope in Jesus, because before you know it, you're going to have passed on from this life. Before you know it, We're going to leave this earth. We're going to leave this earth. And if we leave the earth without Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, we will never ever see the light of day again. We'll be doomed to destruction, especially if you've heard the truth. If you've heard the truth and not reacted to it. If you've heard the truth and you haven't responded. If you've heard the truth and not given your life to Jesus Christ and turned your life over to Him and recanted of all your sin. Turn from sin and live for Jesus and live a holy and righteous life, an impeccable life in Christ. Because you know what? You won't be dead for more than a few minutes. And if you're a Christian and you get into heaven and you manage to get into heaven, you are going to be on your knees repenting in heaven, saying, Lord, please send me back. And if you can give me another 10 years, I'll go back and I'll live for you with all my heart. And Jesus will say, sorry, it's done. There's no more life for you on earth. What you have done, you have done, and that's it. You can't change it now. And you'll say, please, there's got to be a way. You're God, there's got to be a way. Can't you just put me back so that I can live it again and I can do it all again again? And I can live a holy, righteous life in you, and that I'll pray 10 hours a day, and I'll pray for all my family who I now see in hell, and I'll pray for them, and I'll make sure that they don't go to hell if you could just back up some time so I can start praying. He's gonna say, No, nope. it's done. You had the scriptures your whole life. You lived 80 years on this planet. You had the scriptures laying before you and you ignored them. And the truth of what the ministers would tell you, you ignored. And you went home and you did nothing about it. You had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And you gave them all up because you wanted to live according to your own desires. We don't want to fall into that category, guys. That's why I preach it now. So you don't have to go there. You don't have to have that five-minute torture as you enter into the kingdom of heaven. That five minutes of absolute torture. And then to live out eternity with that regret. You know what I mean? Do you want to have regrets in heaven? Why do you think the disciples gave it everything? Why do you think the disciples were so committed to the faith that they laid their life down. If you read about Paul's trials, it's just mind-blowing what he went through just to save people, just to get them into the kingdom of heaven. And I know people that don't come to this church because they have to drive for 20 minutes on a Sunday. They love the teaching. Oh, yeah, but it's 20 minutes. It takes 20, 25 minutes in the car, so I won't drive there. I'm like, huh? (laughs) Paul spent a night and day in the open sea for Jesus Christ. Who would like that? That'd be my worst nightmare. Bobbing up and down in the open sea. Just treading water. Just staying afloat, staying alive. Sharks. <laughs> you know, do the whole Daniel thing, keep those sharks away, Lord. Like the lions and in, in the lion's den. That would be terrible. But that's how far he went. He was stoned. You know, back in those days, when they stoned someone, they stoned someone. They actually knew how to do it. They didn't mess up. Paul was killed and was resurrected right there. Because it says that they took him out, they dragged him out to the gate, and they stoned him. And then the saints got around him and prayed, and he got back up. And he went straight back into the town again. (laughs) Round two. Why did he do that? Because wouldn't that have blown the mind of those guys. Hang on, no, 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 no. You can't be here. I just saw your head go with a big boulder. Sorry to be so graphic. But that's what the scriptures say happened. Yeah. Are you prepared to be stoned for your faith? Are you prepared to spend a day and a night in the open sea for your faith? How committed are you to the faith? Are you prepared, like Paul, in the face of all that, to pray? He's chained up in prison in the darkest, deepest depths of the prison, and he's in shackles, and what are they doing at two in the morning? Singing hymns, singing praises to Jesus Christ, and praying. And there was an earthquake, and the whole place just opened up and, and... the, the prison warden thought they'd all escaped. He was about to kill himself. Because he knew if, if, if it's better if I kill myself than these guys get a hold of me. If those prisoners escaped, I'm going to, they're going to trash me something fierce. Whippings, beatings, whatever else would have happened to the soldiers. But Paul, that's what Paul was like. Now, are we called to anything less? I don't think we are. I don't think we are. As Christians, we're called to be genuine. And what does the world expect? The world expects genuine Christians also. And when you're not, the world mocks the Christian faith. And because the Christian faith in general, especially in the West, lacks holiness, lacks the righteous requirements that Jesus set down in the Scriptures, the world mocks Christianity and the world mocks our Messiah. They laugh at him. Look at your people. Look at them. They're a disgrace. You know, the things we found, some of the biggest ministers and the things that they've got up to in the world today. And The world loves catching us out. Shouldn't be that way, should it? We're supposed to be Holy. I don't even think Christians know what that means anymore. But the scriptures do. And I'm going to try to get through some. All right, so 2.66, it says, God will give each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth, And follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble or tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. I'm just going to read on a little bit. It says all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. Now, just keeping that think of that word apart for a second and jump over, keep your finger in on verse 12, but jump over to ver, chapter 3 verse 21. Chapter 3 verse 21 says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so that righteousness, apart from the law, apart from the law, so we're not under the law, we're apart from the law, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so that's what it's referring to. So let's go back to verse 12 on chap- in chapter 2 again. It says, all who sin apart from the law. So I want you to understand this. That's faith in Jesus Christ apart from the law. That's grace, isn't it? That's faith through grace. You've been saved apart from the law, not under the law. And then it says this, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. So all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And then they'll perish as well. Because when they're judged by the law, if you're under the law, you're going to perish. Because there's only one way out, and that's through the name of Jesus Christ. So you must be under Jesus Christ, but you mustn't live a sinful life. Because you're actually going to be judged harsher by knowing Jesus Christ and living under him and sinning than if you didn't know him. It'd be better to not have known him. Remember when it said that? It'd be better not to have known it than to know it and to sin. So being a Christian is a huge responsibility, huge responsibility to all of us. We must live a righteous life now we're Christian. And this is going to show you what I mean by this. So, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey. Just because you sit in church and hear the word does not mean you're righteous. Just because you've gone and used your lips to say I am Christian does not make you righteous. It doesn't happen vicariously. It doesn't just happen like miraculously like a magic trick. It's about following him. It's about living righteously in him. um, It is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles do... Who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts are now accusing, now even defending them. Um, and we're just going to skip over because I could go on on that, talk about that for a second, but I don't want to. I want to go over to uh, chapter three, verse nineteen, which is three nineteen to thirty-one. And it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. See, the whole world is going to be held accountable to God. The whole world, every single soul that's ever lived on this planet is going to one day meet their maker. The whole world is going to stand before God and he's going to judge them. He's going to have people on his left and people on his right. To those on his right, they're going to receive eternal life, and those on his left are going to receive eternal death, eternal separation. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we, we become conscious of sin. That's what the law is for. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. We all know what sin is. You know, it's not hard to work it out. If I had a blackboard up here and asked you guys to tell me what sin is, tell me, list off some sins, we would, we would fill the blackboard in no time at all, wouldn't we? Because we all know, even atheists know what sin is. If you say, what's a sin? Oh, well, you know, they'll say committing adultery. You know, they'll just pop one off the top of their head. They'll agree that it's wrong. Unless they're in a, an adulterous relationship, then they won't agree it's wrong. <laughs> Oh, murder's wrong, unless they're a murderer. <laughs> They'll think murdering is wrong. But, but now a righteousness from God, here it is again, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the laws and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. I'll go back on that. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That righteousness from God comes through faith. Now, what that mean is, means is that you accept Jesus Christ. You've been cleansed of your sins. But the righteous part, you live out by faith. The moment you have your sins washed, you are at that moment the righteousness of God. Because your sins are coming cleansed. You have no sin. But the moment you step foot back in the world, guess what happens? You sin again you get messed up. So how do you step back into the world and keep yourself from getting messed up? It's by faith. You walk by faith. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill said the biggest miracle is um, to take a, a Christian out of the world and make them holy and then put them back in the world and keep them holy. You know, that is a miracle. If a and that's why we need faith. That's why we need to walk under his grace. That's why we need to hear these messages. That's why Paul constantly and Peter and John constantly remind the believers what sin is. Say, if you do these things, I'm warning you, if you do these things and continue to do them, you will not receive the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're really, really hard on that point. The last three sermons I've done really hits that home. So there is no difference for all of sinned. This is verse... Uh, This righteousness, go back to verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace uh, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now God presented him, so the Father presented the Son, as a sacrifice of atonement. That's what the cross is. God presented the Son as a sacrifice of atonement because up until that time, the Jews used to sacrifice lambs and bulls and goats and pigeons and so on. All the time, It was blood was being shed for their sin. Jesus came to do away with that system of things with one ultimate sacrifice, good for all time, meaning good for any one of us in the future who will turn to Jesus Christ. But it's only as good as we keep on bowing our heads to him and repenting and coming to him in submission and keep saying, Lord, forgive me. Amen? Because we keep getting cleansed. We have to keep getting cleansed. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before and unpunished. That were the sins before Moses. Before the time of Moses when the law came about. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. At the present time. that Those words we take to now. He did it to demonstrate his justice now. At this present time. So as to be just and the one that is the father. And the one who justifies the man who has faith in Jesus. So the Father will justify us if we have faith in Jesus. But we're going to keep going because I want to want to get to some really hard-hitting truth. So where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law. No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and uncircumcised through the same faith. Now, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold it. We uphold the law. So, what he's saying is that we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Now, people, that's the scripture. That's where this faith teaching ends, there. Because if you just take that verse, if I say, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law, you would think that what he means is that you don't have to worry about observing the law. You don't have to worry about following righteous requirements. Would that lead you to think that? Yeah? But he's not talking about He's talking about an Old Testament law at that moment. He's talking to Jews, because the Christian church was predominantly Jews back in these days. He's talking to Jews that were still trying to observe the law, who were still using circumcision as a means of salvation. And he says, you're not justified by observing that. You're justified by, by faith, right? But then he knew they'd get confused. So he says in verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Do we nullify it? And then he says, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What is a Christian's job? The Christian's job is to uphold the law. Uphold it by fulfilling its righteous requirements, which you're going to hear very soon. You fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and you uphold the law because when people look at you they see someone impeccable in their righteousness and their holiness so you've upheld the law we're not under it we're under grace but you can't uphold the law if you're not under grace you can't fulfill the law if you're not under grace you can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law if you're not under grace. You have to be under grace to actually fulfill it. Does that make sense? This is where the whole thing's gone wrong. They don't teach this. And so Christians have this idea that grace is a, is a coverall. But Paul's going to tell you very, very clearly that's not so. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. What then? Shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. See, the reason why it has to be, we have to be under grace to fulfill and uphold the law, the reason why it has to be under grace is so that when we get to heaven, Jesus says, or we can't say to Jesus, how good was I? I fulfilled the law. And he'll go, no, you did not if you did any righteous things at all, it's was because you were under my grace. It's because you walked with me. And it was the Spirit of God in you that enabled you to uphold the law. Amen? You could do nothing of the sort on your own. You couldn't do one righteous thing because you're all filled with sin. Your flesh, nature, is sinful. To the core. But if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? I hope you're seeing. I hope I'm being explanatory enough so you can see this. Abraham believed God. See? We've got to believe God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Go to verse 4. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Right? So you work, you go and do your job, you get paid, and the person who pays you is obligated to pay you. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, see, we're not working, we're not trying to fulfill the law, we just do because we're under grace. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked by his blood, his faith is credited as righteousness. That faith. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness. He says, blessed are they. Guys, you want to be among this group of blessed. He says, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessed is that man who the Lord will never, ever count his sins against him. You want to be in that blessed group, amen? You want to be that person that the Lord will never, ever count your sins against you. And you know what? It's all about walking by grace through faith. Sorry, walking by faith through, through grace. They both work. All right. 4, 13 to 17, and it says this. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise but that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. See, at that time there was no law in the time of Abraham. It wasn't until Moses that the law was written down. So he, he received, he became the righteousness of, of God through faith. So he was like a Christian. He was like a christian back then for if those who live by law are heirs faith has no value and the promise is worthless so if you live by the law if you can fulfill the law in your own strength then faith has no value and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law there is no transgression right so abraham lived in a time when there was you know people knew the law because it was on their hearts but The law wasn't written in stone, like after the Ten Commandments. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may. Listen to this. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. See, we are of the faith of Abraham. We are Abraham's children. Someone asks your genealogy, say Abraham. I'm one of his children. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. All those that have faith and all those that walk in their faith in righteousness are sons of Abraham. Go down to... Four twenty-three. The word it was credited or it was imputed to him was written for him alone. Were written not just for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, since we have been justified through faith, your faith... Uh, by your faith you've been justified, we have peace with God. Who here has peace with God? Yeah? If you don't have peace with God, I want to talk to you later. And you need to know um, what I'm about to read to find that peace in God. So therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. So by faith we step into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So that's the hope. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. That has many applications, but a a simple one is there was a moment in history Jesus had to appear. At that moment, he had to die, and it was at just the right time. But Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. And I want to read this through. And just even if I'm not um, commenting on it as we go, I just want you to read it and absorb it from the perspective of how we now know it and understand it. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We're saved. He's justified us by his blood. For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And I'm going to just jump down to verse 20. And it says, The law was added... So that the trespass might increase. Isn't that interesting? He added the law so that people would sin more. That's weird, isn't it? Doesn't make sense? But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now if you want to know more about that, read um, verse 12 through to uh, verse 19 because that goes into an explanation there. But I I just don't have time to go there because I've got more important things to read here. And so let's go to chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now this is the point. As Christians we're supposed to have died to sin. Is that taught today? Do Christians get told they must be dead to sin? They must it mustn't have any rule in your body anymore. It mustn't have any control over you. We must die to sin. We died to sin. How? If we have truly died to sin, and you have to truly die to sin to be considered a Christian, according to these doctrines taught by Paul, Peter, and John, you must truly be dead to sin. You must die to it. That's the way to overcome it. You know, a dead man doesn't have any emotion, does he? Dead man is just a corpse. So if you're a corpse to sin... Sin has no effect on on a corpse. It can't affect the corpse because the corpse can't move. If we're dead to sin, sin can't affect us any longer. That's what it says. By no means we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? When you got baptised in water, you were baptised into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So that's when you come out of the water, you're living a new life, you should be a new creature in Christ from that moment forward. So if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So we must be we must be united with him in his death. That means we must be united with him resisting the sin nature or be dead to the sin nature. We must be united with him in his death and we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be, fully, might be rendered powerless. We've been crucified. Actually, what did Jesus say about taking up our cross? He says, "Unless you take up your cross, you're not even worthy of Jesus." So we've got to start questioning, Are we truly Christian? Do we take up our cross? Are we dead to sin? Can I tell you why God put this on my heart to preach? It came to me this morning while I was in praying. God is calling his church to holiness. God is calling his church to holiness at present. The ministers that will respond will teach holiness. The problem is most ministers won't teach it because it doesn't draw huge crowds. Actually, it, it causes people to flee churches. I, I've never seen so many people come and go in a church in this church. Because, and, and people all the time saying, oh, I just feel condemned as a Christian when i hear your ministry i said no christians don't shouldn't feel condemned christians should feel convicted christians should be the most humble people on earth they should be ready to repent at a moment's notice christians should not feel condemned under this under the ministry of the word if the word says it and you feel condemned that means you are living in an unrepentant life you need to repent repent and repent doesn't just say, it means, sorry God, and then go and do the very thing the next day. Repent is a life turn, a life change, complete, a radical change of life. You no longer live the old way, you live the new way, and that's it. This teaching I'm teaching now, which, you know, um, people think is the meat of the word, should be our introduction to the faith. This should be what you hear when you first come to the faith so that you know, okay, I've got to be dead to sin. I've got to take up my cross. I've got to follow Jesus Christ. I've got to live for him. I've got to resist the sin nature. I've got to turn away from all those things, all those vices that have got me bound, and I've got to live a righteous life. I've got to uphold the law. You know, when... If, I, if someone just heard me say that, I've got to uphold the law. If someone just got that clip and just stuck it on the internet, would I get slandered for that by Christians? And not just... And this is the funny thing. You would think that the Christian community on the internet would be a nice bunch. I've never heard such language coming out of Christians. I've never heard such attitudes, such... You know? And they, they sort of get you back up. You know? Gets my sin nature rising. But it''s it's, uh, it's in the scriptures, it's in the scriptures and I'm, and this is why I, I wrote this this morning. God is calling His church to holiness, and I believe the reason is because he's going to be returning soon soon world events are, uh, like who, who's students of prophecy in this in this church, we know world events are quickly drawing to a close there's so many things being fulfilled in the sequence of what has to take place before the return of Christ. Because I'm a big believer, Jesus can't return until certain things have occurred. He can't just imminently return any moment. He can't. He can't return right now because there's certain things. You know why he can't return right now? I'll tell you why. The mark of the beast system has not come in. Right? People haven't been forced to take a mark on their wrist or their forehead yet. Revelation 13 clearly says that before the return of Christ that there will be A beast system introduced so jesus can't return so guys you don't have to worry that jesus is going to come tomorrow except in one sense if you die tomorrow jesus will come to you tomorrow if you die tomorrow and you'll have to face jesus and if you've rejected him your whole life or if you've not lived for him with all your heart in a righteous way According to scripture, according to what I'm upholding the law, then you're going to be found wanting and it's going to be touch and go. I'm not one to make a judgment and I won't judge anyone about where anyone is at. I'm even scared to say, Yes, you're absolutely saved. I'll say this if I see someone fully repenting and their hearts are just given out to the Lord and they've recognized everything, I'll say, Yes, you're saved. Now go and continue in that. Do not turn from that life. Do not turn to what, from what you've just repented of. Don't go back. Live the life out the way it's meant to be lived. Because if you turn back, it's like a dog returning to vomit. It's vomit. Or a pig returning to the mud, as the scriptures say. And Jesus is going to discard of them. They're going to be discarded. He says, I will discard them. I'll be quick to testify against these people. Many will come before him on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, Those that did not do the will of God. That's what it says. Those that do not do or did not do the will of God will not enter the kingdom of God. It's those that do not do. Jesus said that, not me. Those that do not do the will of God. Hang on, but I made an older confession. I, I said, you know, 20 years ago that I, I, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But you did not do the will of God, Jesus will say. Yeah, but I thought that's all I needed to do. Well, you didn't read the scriptures and you believed your pastor. We're not called to just believe any person that stands up there. Don't just, don't even believe me. But don't don't just walk away and say that was a load of garbage check it out for yourself find out if what i'm saying is true amen i am being commissioned i'm being commissioned by god to preach this message and and restore the doctrines of salvation and holiness i've realized just this morning I've been commissioned by God. That's why I can't get away from this message. I can't. I have to keep on hammering at home until we shine before God, until you guys are like this beautiful bride, prepared in, in, in this beautiful flowing white robe, ready for Jesus Christ's return. And you're ready in season and out of season. You're always ready. You're ready at a moment's notice. If you suddenly get ushered into the presence of God, you're ready. You don't have to be ashamed. But guys, you must die to the sin nature. We must cut it off. Or else we'll be found wanting it. The scriptures are clear in this. We must cut it off. Resist it. Turn away from it. Now, if we died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin. I am not making this up. This is in the scriptures. This is not Rob's little slant on Christianity. This is the scriptures speaking it. I can't run from it. I have to preach it because it's here. It's on every page. It's on, in every book. The further I go, like you should see my list. I showed Elizabeth my list. How many scriptures have, I've, have I discovered that say this in the pages and pages of just scriptures listed? And I'm going to go through them all because I'm going to do a, the most thorough thesis on this that I think has, ever, has been done in the modern times because I've been commissioned to restore this message. And I must do it. I can't fight this. I have to do it. And it's all, when I think of a message, I'm going, God, give me another message. Give me something else. What about a message on prayer? Yeah, yeah, I want to do a message on prayer. The church needs to pray, but I want you to do this. But I'm going to do a message on prayer coming up. I've got a a really exciting one for everyone and for me. Um, But this message, I can't dodge it. Can you see why? I hope you're starting to see why. It's it's. It's slapping me in the face every time I open the Bible. And, and God, is, God is watching what's getting taught. And I've watched it. And he, he's, he can't believe that the doctrine of salvation has been so watered down, has so little impact, has so little ability to change a person. Christians don't get changed. You can't tell them apart from the unbelievers anymore. I met with Stephen yesterday and I said to Stephen, I said, I know someone who um, you know, drinks worse than, a Christian that drinks worse than most unbelievers. He smokes and, and takes drugs more worse than most unbelievers. And he womanizes worse than most unbelievers. Yet that same guy will say that I speak in tongues through the day while I drive around from place to place. Amen. man... What kind of deception are you living under? You think that tongues is going to make up for your drunken state last night? Your drunken stone state? I would question what what spirit is driving him when he's speaking in tongues. I would question whether he actually has the Holy Spirit at all. Or whether it's a demon speaking through his tongues. And I, Veena and I spent many years in churches that were full on into that, you know, full on. And I, I have to say, I, a lot of it made me really, really unsettled. I felt creeped out. It really disturbed me. You guys know, yeah. Some of it was very Some of it was amazing, like the moves of the Spirit at those times. We went through some incredible times. But then there was other stuff that I just, I don't know. I couldn't trust it couldn't trust I couldn't get involved in it. So what is it? Is it about tongues? Is it about the gifts of the Spirit? Or is it about living a holy and righteous life in Christ? Well, nearly every page of, of the epistles will tell us that that's what it's about. And I just want to finish chapter 6. Sorry if I'm keeping you guys too long, but um, I think you need to hear it. Amen. All right, so go back to verse 11. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. See, it's evil if you obey that sin nature. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. See, offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So guys, say this with me. Lord, I give you my body as an instrument of righteousness and live that Live it out. Give him. Hand it over. This is your body. Use it as your instrument, as an instrument of righteousness. Uh, For sin shall not be your master. See? Sin is not supposed to master us because you are not under law but under grace. See, if you're under law and, and you weren't under grace, sin would be your master. That's the whole thing. So we're not under law, but we're under grace. That means sin is not our master. So what then? Shall we sin because we are un- not under the law but under grace? So Paul even covered that one. Grace is not a coverall. Grace is not what you use to, you know, when you sin. Don't worry, you're under grace. You're fine. You're under grace. You've sinned, but you're under grace. That's not, that's not what grace is. If someone says, I've sinned, they'll say, well, you're not under grace. Because you wouldn't have sinned if you were under grace. Because if you're under grace, you don't sin. It's when you step out from grace that you sin. Right, shall we say, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer your souls to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin... Which leads to death. If you're a slave to sin, it leads to death. Or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Guys, you have been set free. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you've been set free from sin. It means you're free from it. You're not free to do it. You're free from it. That's important. So now, sin should not be your master because you're dead to sin. It shouldn't have any more hold on you. Now, if it rears its ugly head, it says we've got to resist the devil and he will flee. We've got to resist it and we've got to make a determined action to follow the leadings and promptings of the Spirit. We've got to pray, especially if the sin is very strong. We've got to pray. And I'll, I'll pray for you. And you get the brothers and sisters in the church to pray for you to, to, to overcome it so that it does not have a hold on you any longer. But you've got to be determined in your mind. It's got to be the utmost determination to walk that walk. That's what the Christian walk is. That's what it's all about. If it's not about that, then... We've missed the point. That's what it's all about, living holy, righteous lives. And like I said, that's what the world expects. And because we don't, the world mocks our God because of us. And that's terrible. You know? I, I would hate it if, I, um, if, if uh, my children went to someone's house and just, you know, smashed their windows and, you know... Uh, threw paint all over the house and you know, just did all these terrible things and swore at the parents. Because that would represent me. What would I do to my kids if they came home and I found out... Sorry, Licky, she's never done that, by the way. If they came home and the person rang and said, you would not believe what your kids just did. They just made a mockery of this place, just messed it up big time. Those kids would get the biggest you know, yelling at, whatever else, we won't mention it, yeah, but they'd cop it, now, I don't want to get to heaven, and have, I, I, I'm over God's knee, that would be terrible, I want to get to heaven, and, and, and God say, well, you you represented me well, from a certain point, you know, you, before that, you weren't representing me well, but now, from that moment on, you decided, you're going to live for me, to the best of your ability, and in yourself but you're going to walk by grace now i've got to keep on clarifying it's it's our obligation to walk by faith so when i say best of your ability what i mean is you step into it in the morning so the first thing you've got to do is pray so you can step into it you know prayer gets you there prayer puts you in that place ready to go that's why prayer is so critical but we, we don't just come in and do our prayers, say our prayers. We come in and say, Lord, today, help me to walk a holy, righteous life in you. Help me to be an ambassador for you. Help me to represent you the way I'm supposed to represent you. So that your name will be honored because I've walked this day. That's what Christianity is all about. And it shouldn't be about anything other. Well, there is other things, but that's one main thing. Okay, so I put this in human terms. This is verse 19. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing er, ever wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Is it in the scriptures, guys? Continuously? When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? When you think back to things that you did that were sinful, are you proud of any of them? No. Do they leave this warm, fuzzy feeling inside? Or a sort of a sick-in-the-gut sort of feeling? Yeah? Sin, you're ashamed of it. You get ashamed of it. You don't want to sin because it just leads, leaves you feeling empty and, and sort of corrupted. Who's felt corrupted? I felt corrupted. And it's a horrible feeling. You know, when you're a kid, you, you know, it's all this purity and there's this beautiful feeling when you're a kid and then you get older and then you do stuff and then the sudden shame gets you and then you feel corrupted and filthy and it's horrible. It's a simple answer determine every day to live a holy and righteous life in Christ and walk by the Spirit. And verse, uh, chapter 7 and 8, which we're not going to start today, and I'm sure you're all saying thank God for that. And um, we're not going to start 7 and 8, which is the next one. I'm going to do the whole chapters because I cannot miss these points that Paul makes. Like, we thought 6 was pretty powerful. Is 6 pretty powerful? But 7 and 8 just really sets the scene, and it's really awesome. We've really got to hear that one. So verse 22, it says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, okay, so now that we have, say that with me, I have been set free from sin, been set free from sin, and I am now a slave to God. The benefit you're going to reap leads to holiness, that leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Okay, so there's the order of salvation. That's the order of salvation. It's not cut and dry like they've been saying. It's now that you have been set free from sin, so first step, repent, you must be set free from sin. After that, you become slaves to God. When you're a slave to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result of that is eternal life. That's how you get eternal life. So if you've got any confusion about what the gospel is? That's the gospel right there in that verse. Mark that down somewhere, if you can. Romans 6:22, "But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life." And then the classic verse, "For the wages of sin is death you want death continue in sin as a christian if a christian who's apart from the law wants to go to hell continue living in sin doesn't matter if you profess jesus name or not because jesus said many will come before me saying lord 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 doesn't matter for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord amen okay Who's starting to get the drift of where I'm going with this? I'm sure after the last three weeks you would have. Um, they've been some uh, very insightful scriptures. Now, I tell you, I nearly didn't start in Romans. I was going to do Timothy because there's some the most powerful scriptures in t- 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy and in um, the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and, and so on. This And Thessalonians, sorry, and Hebrews. It just There is so much that pertains to this doctrine. Yet, And that's why it astounds me. It really astounds me that this doctrine is so clear in Scripture, so in your face all the way through, how come Christian ministers don't preach it, or at least the mega, what, mega churches and the, and, the, and the big ministers of our day do not go near these Scriptures? But it's everywhere, isn't it? We just did chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Romans. Was it all through it? 7 and 8, even more so. Read Romans 7 and 8 before next week, because I'm planning to do it next week as well. Um, But read Romans 7 to 8 during the week. And read it slowly, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. And to me, this is critical, because I believe salvation, the message of salvation is so wrong today in so many settings that we are going to see the, the hugest the mo- most massive loss of people who claim to be christian in all of history as a result we could see um, a, a, the most terrible judgment taking place against people who were led to believe they were saved but were not told that their life must change and then they were taught if someone tells you your life must change you're a legalist That's scary because Christians are to uphold the law. And then there's scriptures coming up that the righteous requirements of the law must be fully met in us. We're not under the law. That only references one thing. We're under grace. What's the difference? Is Grace enables us, enables us to keep the law. So we're not under it, we're under grace, but through grace we keep the law. Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in God, will you do an evil thing? Will you go and rob a bank? No. Will, will you, you know, go and take a big line of heroin? No. Will you go and sleep with a different partner every night of the week? No, you wouldn't do that because the Spirit would not do that. So that's why grace gives you that power, gives you the power to uphold the law so that it would be fully met in us. Okay? And if someone tells you it's legalism, then say, well, Paul's a legalist, Peter's a legalist. You know, they're all legalists. Actually, the New Testament's legalism. But it's not. It's the Spirit, and that's why we're given the Spirit so if you doubt whether the Spirit is operating in you, I want to pray for you. If you doubt whether the Spirit will enable you to live that life, I want to pray for you. Because we need the Spirit, especially in this day and age, because we've got so much opposition, haven't we? So much going on in this world that's causing us to sin on a daily basis. We need the Spirit to operate in us and enable us to walk the righteous life. All right, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just give you praise and thank you for everyone's patience here, Lord. And I just pray that this message um, got in and, and really reached in everyone's heart here and has uh, struck a, a chord with them. And I pray that they will go home and wrestle with this. Lord, I pray that no one here will rest under this until they get the lives in sync with you until the spirit is operating in them until they walk under grace until they're filled with the faith to believe that the spirit can move in them as the, the way they, uh, the scriptures here are declaring and so i just pray for every single person that the spirit of god will come upon them in a powerful way and that will lead them to walking uh in a, in such a manner that they can declare at the end of their life that they have upheld the law that the righteous requirements of the law has been fully met in each and every one of them here. And I pray that this group of people will be a beautiful bride prepared uh, and ready for your return, Lord Jesus. I pray that you help us to become a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. And I pray that you will just uh, continue to look over them and direct them and keep them on the path of life and not let them stray. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Be with us now as we fellowship together and may we have a wonderful time of fellowship. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. (laughs)